0: Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? Thank you guys for being here tonight. It's a great transition now in the scriptures. This is really one of the most dramatic movements of scripture that you'll see. Genesis 1 through 11 is all about creation. And then there's this dramatic shift in chapter 12 to focus the whole rest of the scripture on the Jews and their relationship with God in the Old Testament. And then Christ coming in the New Testament from those that Jewish descendants to save mankind. So this is this is a dramatic change in the narrative of the Bible that we're going in right now. Significant move. I'm gonna focus tonight on obedience. For a long time, I hated this word, just couldn't get fond of the word obedience, and so I grew up Catholic, um, and uh, I grew up in my grandma's house for about five years. From age five to ten, I lived there with my, without my mom, just lived with my grandma. My brother, my two brothers and my sister were there with me, so the four of us, my grandma was raising us. My grandpa didn't do a lot except drink and kind of sit around in the yard and watch things, um, so he wasn't much help to my grandma. My grandma grew up on a, as a vegetable farmer, Italian lady. Uh, she grew up on a vegetable farm in Texas, and she was real good at the hoe. So, I mean, I could, man, you put a hoe in my grandma's hands and she could pull a weed with a gnat a on it, right, and pick that thing up and hand it to you. It was unbelievable to watch her. And she had this strawberry garden in her house that she would work. And uh, I remember one day I was out in the back and I think I said a cuss word. I was like six or something. And my sister immediately ran over to my grandma and ratted me out, of course, and uh Grandma's coming at me, she's about this tall, and she's coming at me like a fire engine, you know, and she's got this hoe in her hands, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, we're squaring off here, you know, and uh, she's like, did you say, and I I think I said no or something, and that hoe, I don't know how it moved, but all I know is it hit me in the head, and I was seeing stars, you know, and I'm like, whoa what the heck you know and I'm yes yes I I, whatever you want me to say yeah I'll I'll never do it again man I was scared to death but that's how grandma worked man she had four little kids and she was a little bitty lady and she didn't have any help and she used corporal corporal punishment to get obedience out of us and so I got a lot of that you know I I took a lot of licks and so uh, um, no DCFS then none of that happened right that's just how it got done down in Texas so uh, um, but obedience that's what it connected for me was obedience hurt it was painful there was going to be pain associated with it and so my memories of that my feelings of that and the catholic church kind of had that same experience you know it was just a it was it was it was not a good word for me when i saw it when i watched it when i experienced it so i wonder how about you what's obedience when i say that word when you think about that word what does that feel like to you what's that word feel like when you think about it Tonight in Genesis 12, we see a pretty profound example of a man who was obedient. I mean, this is a stunning picture of a guy named Abram who's asked to leave his family and go to a country he's never been to in order to obey God. Now, some would argue that this act of obedience was probably one of the greatest acts of obedience short of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in terms of its impact on the world religion and politics that we see today. This one act and this promise of god that comes from that has had massively massively huge implications to world geopolitics and religion so tonight i'm going to describe abraham's obedience first how god reached him second god's command for him to move third his response to that and finally his failure in that and i'm praying tonight i'm really praying that you guys will walk out of here with a different feeling of obedience i know for me this helped me this was a bit therapeutic for me and looking at the word obedience and finding some love for it that I didn't have and I've, I've, I've lived out a lot of obedience but the word itself this study helped me and I hope it has the same impact on you that your heart will be changed with the word and the meaning of this word and it'll draw you to Jesus and want to obey him deeper so let's pray together and jump in Heavenly Father I love you I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful for this story and I love spending time in this book of yours Lord I love reading it I love thinking about what you were doing and I love the fact that you reached me and care about me Lord, I'm praying for these brothers that right now they hear you we've got 20 minutes together Lord and I just pray that my words and my goofiness won't get in their way and that they'll They'll just hear you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you, Lord. And I pray the same thing for their phone, that it won't get in their way, Lord. So give them a time just now, a sabbatical from the world, so they can be with you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Well, you jump back in Genesis eleven twenty seven 27 through 32, and we see the tail end of this genealogy. But this genealogy takes a hard shift, and it dives deep into this family of Abram. And the first thing we see in here that I noticed was that Terah, Abram's dad lost his son, Haran, and I stood on that. It hit me, it it, it connected with me. The death of Haran was unusual. His death was out of the normal order. It just just dawned on me, there was a lot of generations. Shem was still alive, there was a lot of men still around, and the order of of the, the sequence was still there. All these guys were alive, except Haran, he dies. Dads are just supposed to die first, not sons. How does this happen? I have a memory of my, one of my uncles dying and his mom still being alive, my great-grandma, and the screams of her crying at the funeral were just echoing in my head as I read this. It was just, I could hear her saying his name over and over and why, and I was thinking of, of Terah. And I think it had a serious effect on him, and it was likely the cause of why he left Ur. Terah traveled to the city of Haran, most likely established by and named after his son. Many believe Haran actually built that city and it was named after him. So for Terah to go there would have made sense and it would have made sense for him to stay there because he would have been comforted by the citizens that were there that knew Haran and the memories of his son would have been ripe there and they would have brought comfort to him and warmth to him and the people would have loved him because they would respect him as the father of Haran. And so you can see how he may have just stopped there and said, I can't go on. The loss of my son is too big. Archaeology has found thousands of artifacts from Ur during the time of Abraham. It's been fascinating to read that. Um, I mean, there's just a lot. And you think about how long ago this was. They found thousands of artifacts in this time frame. And what they discovered is this was a highly sophisticated civilization. Very wealthy, very industrious. Highly engineered, strong educational system, strong medical system, and a vibrant manufacturing sector. So, this was a very wealthy community, but it also showed it was an extremely polytheistic group and they worshiped in very vulgar ways. Sexuality was the focal point of their worship. Terah and his family were probably wealthy and were probably comfortable in this space. Why do we know that? Well, in Joshua 24, we read this, it said this. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from that land beyond the Euphrates and I led him throughout Canaan. So you can see this description makes it clear. Terah was not a follower of the God of Noah. He was pagan, he was polytheistic. And God pulled Abram out of that. He removed him from that setting. Those cities and Abraham's family were most likely a liability to Abraham. The death of his father and his brother, Terah ends up dying, Haran's dead, those probably impacted Abram. And I believe that opened his heart heart and mind to the voice and the presence of the one true God. You have no idea how God is controlling the circumstances of your life. You just don't, do you guys? To lead you away from bad things or to lead you to God. He does that, and I think this is what he's doing with Abram. Death has deeply impacted me numerous times and has caused me to move physically and spiritually toward God. Let me give you three examples. In 1989, the death of my stepfather caused me to leave Procter & Gamble while I was living in Cincinnati, and it moved me to Chicago to build a company, ultimately, that I named Packmore. In 1990, the threat of losing my unborn son, Taylor, at 23 weeks, led me to Jesus in those same Chicago suburbs. And in 2018, the death of a young man at one of our Pacmore plants was catalytic in my decision to sell Pacmore and to start Heart of a Man. So you see, you don't know how God's working in your life. He's working in circumstances you can't understand, and in the difficult ones, to move you and to get you away from things that are gonna harm you. So let me, ask you, let me ask you this hard question. How might God be using something that's very difficult in your life right now to draw you closer to him or to pull you out of something that could be hurting you or pulling you away from him? In Genesis 12:1, God spoke to Abraham and told him to move. We're not told how this happened. But we're gonna see when we get to Genesis 18 that angels that look like men came to visit Abram. And many believe that that visitation, Jesus was physically there. It was one of the first Christophanies. But whatever the case is, God found a way to communicate with Abram in that moment. We don't know exactly what, but he did. And that communication was enough for Abram to believe that he was the one true God. Most of us aren't obedient to God because we just don't know it's him speaking to us. We're so unfamiliar with his voice and his commands, we just often don't obey. So how do you know when God is speaking to you? How do you know? It's important to recognize too that God acted first, not Abram. When we are saved, it's because God moved toward us first. Salvation is an act of God, not of man. God reaches to man before man is able to even hear or respond. Our sinful nature makes us absolutely incapable of wanting or even desiring God. In John 15, Jesus said it clearly. You did not choose me. I chose you. In Ephesians 2, we read, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Why? So by works not by works, so that you cannot boast. God is the first act of every single salvation story, including yours. So the hard question, to whom do you give credit for your decision to follow Jesus? You or God? God told Abraham to leave his country, his people and his father's family. He saw something that was going to hinder Abram spiritually. And Abram could not trust or follow God living in his hometown with an unbelieving family. God saw that. Guys, we often must move away from the place of our youth. Many of us have developed ungodly lifestyles and friendships. And for some people, you may need to move because the culture you're in right now is pulling you away from God. And that may, in fact, be a Christian community. How is the place where you are living today helping or hurting your ability to walk closely with Jesus. In Genesis 12, two through nine, God made a covenant with Abram. God made four very important promises to God and these will ripple through the rest of the Bible, you guys. Pay attention to these, these matter. And they show up all over the geopolitical landscape right now. Just watch what's going on with the Arab-Israeli relations. This is really important stuff. God promises Abram this, a land that will forever be set aside for the descendants of Abram. What are all those wars and Israelis and Palestinians about? The land. Who owns it? Well, they both have the same father, Abram. His name will be made great by God. He will have a great nation descend from him, and he would be a great blessing for all people on earth. Those were the four promises that were made to Abram at this moment. These are critical promises. Let me describe how these promises have been fulfilled already, and and I won't talk about what's yet to come, but you can watch them unfold as we read the Bible. First, the land. Abram settled in the land of God, promised him, in about 2100 B.C. That's about how long ago this was. His grandson, Jacob, moved them all to Egypt in around 1800 B.C. Packed them up and all moved them because, again, they were worried about a famine. In about 1400 B.C., 400 years later, Joshua takes them back to that land and they live in that land for about 700 years. In about 770 BC, Assyria attacks the Northern Kingdom. About 586, the Babylonians attack the Southern Kingdom. And then from there on, world world powers occupy that land until 1948. In 1948, 4,000 years after God made this promise, The Jews finally retook sovereign control over the land of Israel. This is powerful stuff, you guys. Pay attention. It's unfolding before your eyes. Abram's name. His name is revered by Jews, Christians, and Muslims. You know what percent of the population of the world that is? Over 50% of the population of the world reveres the name of Abraham. Why? Because he's the father of all those religions and all deeply respect him. The nation of Israel is made great why because it's one of the only ancient civilizations to still ex- to still exist. Have you do, you do the Amalekites still exist? Moabites and if you're from the south the Philistines or the Canaanites. Nope, they're all gone. Israel ancient Nations still alive, still going. This is what God said. They would be a great nation. And lastly, the whole world has been blessed by Abram. Why? Because of a descendant named Jesus. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? These four promises have been fulfilled. The Abrahamic covenant, is which this is called, has deep implications for world history as it continues to unfold. You just gotta open your eyes and watch because it's unfolding as God said it would Make note of this. God said he would bless those who bless Abram and curse those who curse Abram. The USA, make no mistake, guys, the USA has prospered under our commitment to bless Israel. That's not casual. And make no mistake, likewise, many countries have been destroyed by cursing those same Jewish people. And I'm not saying the Jews are all good people. In fact, in the end times, two-thirds of them will be destroyed, and a third, the remnant, will be saved. So yeah, I understand there's some bad Jewish people, and God does too, and he will weed that out, but this is what God's talking about. Abram responded to God's call and his promise by moving to Canaan. He stayed in tents. This is an important point, so that he could be mobile and move when God called him. He didn't build cities like Nimrod. Abraham built an altar in Shechem to lead his people in worship when God brought him back, and so these two acts of obedience, moving and worship, were were a sign of Abram's absolute love and affection and obedience for the one true God. The response of every man to God's call is the first sign to God that a man has genuine faith. The response of each man to God's call is the first sign to God that a man has genuine faith. In John 14, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commands. So this is the hard question. How would your obedience inform God's view of your faith how would your obedience inform God's view of your faith in Genesis 12 10 through 20 Abram went to Egypt a famine in Canaan made Abram afraid Abram didn't pray and seek God's wisdom and direction he just moved to Egypt to avoid the famine to this point God had directed his steps but in this moment Abram decided I'm going to take control In Proverbs 3, God makes it so clear. He says, if you seek me in all your ways, I'll make your path straight. We don't take control when things get bad, do we? No, we always do. We get afraid and we grab control immediately. And we don't pray. We don't do anything. I can't tell you the countless number of decisions I've made without God when I've been afraid. I can't even count them. There's so many. What was your most recent decision you made without God when you were afraid? i bet everyone made one this week already. Abram chose to go to the city that had food and worshipped pagan gods. Egypt was just like Ur, which he had left. Abram's fear of Pharaoh should have been his first indication. He should have asked God where to go. <laughs> he's afraid of Pharaoh. And his fear wasn't even warranted because God just promised him children. And he doesn't have any yet. So clearly he's not going to die. But he's not thinking clearly, is he? Abram thought he had to lie about his wife to protect himself. And while she was his half-sister, she was also his wife. So it was a lie of omission. While this lie would generate some significant wealth for him and keep him alive, it's going to have ramifications for him like your lies do too. He would repeat this lie again with another king and another nation. And because of this behavior, his wife Sarai would take a cheap view of marriage when they couldn't have children. She would let him sleep with her maid and they would give birth to a son named Ishmael who would give rise to a nation to who this very day hates and tries to kill Israel. The whole Arab nation came from Ishmael. So this cheapness of marriage had serious ramifications for Abram. God has a very high view of marriage between one man and one woman. He created it in the beginning as the first building block of civilization. This was not a trivial act. Our culture in this country is being destroyed in every possible way you can think of because we have cheapened and devalued marriage. How are you protecting and promoting God's view of marriage to help rebuild this country? God sent plagues on Pharaoh and his family, and this caused Pharaoh to realize Abram tricked him. God sent those plagues to protect Abram. It ensured Abram left that deeply pagan world. It also kept him from losing his faith, God's promises, and his wife. The intervention fixed a number of bad decisions made by Abram. Feeling this yet? There's times when you make a lot of bad decisions, aren't there? I know I do. You think about it. It's a tough decision. You're scared. You're worried. You don't know what to do, you don't pray, you just make a call and you run with it. And then you realize you made a huge mistake. And then you go, I didn't pray. I'm in this mess, what do I do? You're afraid you're never gonna recover. This story of Abram reveals this, you guys. You don't have to make perfect decisions as a Christian. I think this is pretty cool. As Christians, we can trust that God is in control of our life and that God can and he often will fix Your bad decisions Romans 8 28 says God makes all things work for the good of those who love him even our dumb mistakes that's the bill international version (laughs) what decision are you afraid to make because you fear making a mistake and what decision has you in a bad place right now that you may need God to rescue you from Bad decisions are okay for Christians because we're on God's plan and he will rescue us. Abraham also became wealthy. God allowed that to happen even after he lied about his wife. God at times allows Christians to become wealthy. He does, you guys. Money is not a curse. We must be careful, though, in believing that wealth is a sign of God's blessing. And in this kind of city we live in, it's often very confusing. We confuse wealth with God's blessing. While money can be a blessing, it's more accurately viewed as a responsibility. God supplies his money to us because he wants us to manage it. And another word for managing God's money is called stewarding. Stewarding means using God's resources for God's purposes. So many churches, ministries, schools, hospitals, homes, and businesses have been built with money from Christian men who were good stewards, and you just look at this church, drive out the parking lot, there's something being built over there. That came from wealthy men in this church. God gives money to men that are Christian so they'll steward it for his purposes. The risk of money is when we view it as ours and that we created it. That view leads us away from God because we use our money to build, like Nimrod, a name for ourselves. How do you view the money that you have? In January of 2002, I was asked to attend training for new leaders in San Antonio, Texas at the headquarters for Bible Study Fellowship. I was tormented by that decision for three weeks. I didn't want the assignment. In fact, I hated the assignment. After hearing the Bible story of a man named Jonah three times in a week, I quickly realized, like Jonah, I was running from God. I remember the morning, I picture the couch, I can see the light, I can see the room, I can see the floor, I can see the window, I remember my heart rate, I can remember what I was wearing, I remember where my Bible was. I can picture this moment as clear as anything when I said, I'll go, I'll go. And I didn't want to, you guys. So when somebody says, oh, he was obedient, don't picture the guy that's like, oh, he's happy, happy, sappy, and he's super chirpy, and he's got it all together. I was not that at all. I was discouraged. I was depressed. I was deeply afraid. I didn't want the assignment. I was angry. I was bitter. And it wasn't till the seventh day of that training when all that went away because I was begging God for six days to give me joy. If this is where he wanted me the seventh day, he finally gave me joy. Looking back, over that last 21 years of my life, I can see that single act of obedience opened a world that I never knew existed. I couldn't see it, you guys. I had no idea. All that I was afraid of, all that I was bitter about, all that I was angry was so wrong. Because on the other side of that obedience was a world that God had that would dramatically change my life. I can't even begin to tell you. It's overwhel- it overwhelms me. The thought of it overwhelms me. It makes me so incredibly happy because I see what God did to me and to my children and to my marriage, to my home, my businesses, and the thousands of men who have been in my life because of the decision to become a Bible study fellowship teaching leader. Obedience creates a new reality you will never see when you say no. So what are you sensing that Jesus is calling you to right now? What is it? What do you need to be obedient to right now? Is it a difficult conversation? Is it reconciling a broken relationship? Is it leaving a job, a friendship, or maybe even your home? Or is it a call to serve in something you think you're gonna hate? Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will. Not to do my own will, I came to do the will of my Father. And Paul said this about Jesus. In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Our salvation was paid by one thing. It was the obedience of Jesus. And Jesus said to us, if you love me, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And through those words, he's saying, I expect you to obey me just as I obey my Father. Obedience matters. Many men don't obey Jesus at all because they have no idea when he is talking. And this is what I found most common. They just don't know he's talking to them. And they're not putting themselves in a place to know that it's him and to hear him and then to respond. Because you don't respond to Jesus in an obedient way most times because you aren't hearing him and saying, that's him and knowing it and trusting that it's him and then moving out. So let me tell you this, guys. We can't hear God unless we, we are used to hearing God speak. You can't hear God unless you're used to hearing him speak. If you're not studying your Bible and learning to hear the Holy Spirit speak through it, you'll never know when Jesus is speaking. Guys, we prepare a lesson for you every week. And honestly, a lot of you guys don't even do it. And all we're doing is setting the table for you to experience obedience and the other side of obedience and the blessing of that that's immense. And why are we doing that? We're setting you up to hear the voice of God. And when you don't do the lesson over and over again, you're simply saying to God, I'm not interested in hearing you speak. That's what you're telling him. And he's like, I'm setting the table for you. And so here's what I recommend to you. Pray with your lesson in your hands and ask God to speak to you. Put the commentaries down. Stop listening to other people's tapes. You have to learn to hear God speak to you, and he will. So you take your lesson, you hold in your hand and say, Lord, speak to me, talk to me, and then answer the questions as you read them and think about them, spend time with them. Don't pencil whip them in the parking lot. That's not giving God time to learn to speak. So you listen, you hear, you write, and then you come in and you talk about those and you talk about them with your friends and you talk about them with somebody at home, but you don't walk out of here and not talk about what you learned. You talk about it. You have to think through it. You got to work through what you heard and then wait to hear when he says something to you. And it's going to be small. I'm telling you, it's going to be small. Hey, can you tithe this week? And you're going to be like, was that God? Well, the Bible says, test me, test me, test me with the tithe. God's saying, can you tithe this week? And i like, was that God? Yeah, that was God. Didn't do it. Give 10% of your paycheck that week and then see what happens. See what happens. The key to following on God is once you hear that little voice and you act, he never, ever leaves that act alone. He responds and he opens up your view, he gives you a color view of a black and white moment. You cannot be obedient unless you follow this path because you won't know the voice of Jesus. Obedience to Jesus is doing what he says, not just repeating his words. And Church has become a place where we memorize scripture and tell people what he says, and we don't do what he says. Obedience is doing what he says, not just repeating the words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. And we want to be obedient, Jesus. We want to hear you speak. I know every guy in this room, if he heard your voice, if I hear your voice, man, I'm going to run through a wall for you, Jesus, because I know my world will change so beautifully it'll be so incredibly better because i hear you and i know you do that so lord help each man this week grab onto this thought of hearing you speak so that he may be obedient to what you tell him to do and lord meet him in that place so his world will change as well jesus thank you for this time we love you and we praise you in your name amen